Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Welcome back to part two on leadership. The last episodes we went through tips one through eight. If you haven't heard that episode, please go back and listen now. Today, we're going to be finishing off with tips nine through 15. Tip number nine is being empathetic. And empathy is being able to show an understanding about how and why other people are feeling the way that they're feeling. And when you take the time and you try to show them empathy, like, hey, I understand why you're struggling or I understand why this is difficult, right? That can help them to feel more connected to you. And the more connected people feel to you, the more they want to do something that pleases you. There are definitely some people who will try to take advantage of you. But the vast majority of people are trying to do a good job. They're trying to be a good person. And so more often than not, giving people the benefit of the doubt, you will oftentimes end up being correct versus if you're constantly looking at people and assuming they have ill intent, you're more often than not going to be in the wrong. And on top of that, that empathy can help really build a strong engagement and relationship with that person versus if you're constantly negative with them and harsh, you're not helping to draw out the best in that person. And as a leader, part of it is having to deal with corrections and discipline. And we know that it's not just all fun and games and building this awesome team, right, where people are going to need to be corrected. And it's really looking at how are you going to motivate that change? Are you going to use shame? Are you going to use guilt? Or are you going to tap into that conviction that they may feel? I remember Tim was working for a company and he went to a training, but he happened to be late. And Tim is very timely, especially if he's going to go to a training. He doesn't want to walk in in the middle of it. But he was telling me that he got there late and I asked him, did you get in trouble? And the trainer said something that really stuck with me. He said, nothing I can say is going to be more harsh than what you're already saying to yourself. And so he understood that Tim was already beating himself up for being late to this important training. And so he really showed empathy and he really used that conviction rather than shame. He didn't shame him in front of everybody. He wasn't sarcastic and said, well, it's nice of you to join us, Tim. When Tim went up to him after to apologize, he knew that he was already convicted and he felt guilty. And so he tapped into that and he granted him empathy. And that was a lesson that I wasn't even there, but it impacted me. And I thought, that's such a generous and kind leader. That's someone who I would want to follow. Number 10 is to show appreciation. And I think a lot of what we're talking about is really how to create a culture and create a morale that is positive and uplifting and a place where people want to work. So showing appreciation and gratitude toward your team members allows them to feel recognized and their efforts validated. And sometimes this could be through rewards or recognitions that happen or contests that you do within your team. But sometimes it's just a simple, hey, thank you. I see the work that you've been doing and I appreciate it. And that might just lift up someone who's had a really rough time or is thinking, I don't even know if I want to continue this. That may be the touch that they need to say, you know what, I do want to keep working. I know that this is a company that I believe in and that I can add value to because You've shown them that you see their value and you appreciate it. 
And I think this idea of showing appreciation, sometimes people get in their heads about being appreciative to others and they think, well, they're doing what they're supposed to do anyways. I shouldn't praise them unless they go above and beyond. But if you want people to go above and beyond, you need to recognize the regular daily activities that they're doing. And then that motivates them. They're not motivated to go above and beyond if they've never been appreciated before. Because why would they suddenly expect that, oh, if I go above and beyond, then I'll be appreciated? Because then they can go above and beyond, and then maybe they still wouldn't be appreciated at all. There's this trend on TikTok going around where people will be telling a story about this wonderful activity that their spouse does. And then if you go and look at the comments, you'll see these comments where it just says, bare minimum, in a very sarcastic way. And what they're basically saying is, those things that you're praising your spouse for, they're just doing the bare minimum. You shouldn't be praising them or happy or excited about what they had done. And that comment always just irks me and irritates me because I'm like, no, you should be praising them. If you want them to continue to do that thing, you praise it. If you don't care that they continue to do that thing, don't say anything. But if you want to really motivate somebody to do the good, you want to praise them for any good actions that they are doing even if it is something that they just should be doing. Number 11 is be a good role model. And what that means is leading by example. You want to model the behaviors and attitudes you expect from your team. So if you want your team to be positive, if you want them to be engaged, if you want them to regularly participate, that's what you should do. If you want your kids to be respectful to you, you should treat them in a respectful way first. I've ended up in a number of leadership positions even though I am relatively introverted and I always tell people I never fight for leadership positions. I normally end up in a leadership position when there's a power vacuum, meaning like I'm not going to fight to be there. Either people are not going to step up, so I'll step up, or people recognize that I'd be good in that leadership position and then they put me into it themselves. And I think a part of the reason why I think in these areas I've been effective leader is because number one is I do lead by example. So I was... So I was captain of both my high school and college swim teams. And a main part of the effect was I was super consistent. I was always at practice. I was always working hard. I was always doing my best to try to perform at my best. And then I've led a couple of Bible studies. And one of the main things that helped out with those Bible studies is that we were very consistent. I was always there. I was always preparing lessons or in particular in our master's program. I was leading up a group one time. Actually, this is the way that I caught Ruth's attention because I was leading this group and I did a really great job in this group. And I led by example where I actually took on the whole brunt of all of the activity, all of the work that needed to be done in the group. And it became very evident. And Ruth saw that and she's like, hey, who's that guy? He's pretty smart. That was how I first caught her attention. But you want to be a good role model. You want to Show the activities and behaviors and responses first from yourself to your team, to your family, to your children that you're hoping to receive from them. Number 12 is to empower others. Empowerment is really important for leaders because it increases employee engagement, which leads to better performance. When people feel empowered, they feel valued and then they're motivated to do their best work. And they're also more likely to stay with the company because they really feel invested in the company and its success. Some of the ways that you can empower your team members are to encourage them to take on new challenges, to give them space to do what they need to do, to give them the proper resources that they need, to really encourage and support them in their own professional development. And kind of like I said before, not to micromanage, but to really respect your employees' time and their commitments 
and then let them get the work done without you hovering over them, showing that you really do trust them in the work that they do. And I think going along with parenting or even in your relationship with your significant other, empowering them to do tasks that maybe you're not certain that they can do right. You got to give them a chance to see if they can. And then maybe if they struggle or they don't do it super well, then you assist them or you help them to get better at it. One of the things that I realized recently was we were doing way too much chores for the kids and we weren't having them engage enough. And then Ruth took our oldest daughter, Hannah, and they went on a trip to California. And I had the four younger ones. And I was like, man, this is too much to do on my own with these four kids. And so I was like, they're going to have to start picking up some of the slack. And so I had them start loading the dishwasher and vacuuming the kitchen after we were having meals and things like that. And it was taking the load off of me, but now they were empowered to do something else. Did they do it right at first? Absolutely not. Was it more work for me at first to get them on board with doing it correctly? Absolutely. After I got them on board and they were empowered now to do it, it took a huge weight off and something that was unmanageable now suddenly became manageable and doable. Right. And I think it's one of those things where I hear a lot of times parents say they don't do the dishes well or I'm going to have to redo it anyway. But you have to think about it. Are you going to wait till they're 13 and 14 and then get frustrated with them that they don't want to do it and they don't know how to do it because now they're only starting versus now our three-year-old loves doing the dishes. She'll carry the stool over to the sink. She'll grab the little sponge thing and she'll just start scrubbing all the dishes. And I want to really foster that while she's excited about doing the dishes and she shows the initiative for it. And so sometimes we'll tell her not to do it at that time. But whenever I can, I let her wash the dishes and I let her play in it because she's learning the process now and she's going to get better and better each time she does it. And I have this really cool picture of her standing on the stool with her scrubber, just smiling at me from ear to ear. And I took a picture of that because she was just so happy and excited that she's doing the dishes all by herself. And I think, too, empowerment can be in multiple stages. So when kids are younger, they have less freedoms. But as they get older, you need to be cognizant and aware of the new freedoms that you're giving them. And I think a lot of parents at a certain age kind of struggle with the autonomy now that the kids are getting because it's more than they're comfortable with. But this is the dance where when they're younger, they require 100% of your attention. But as they get older, they need less and less attention and they want to be more and more independent. I always tell parents, right, you want to raise kids so that by the time they're 18, they can act as a fully functional adult. And if you stop and you think, how many kids are actually fully functional adults by 18? And the answer is very, very few of them. But that should be the goal as the parent, not I'm going to control them till they're 18. And now oh, they're 18. Now they got to figure out how to live their life. It's I want them by the time they are able to walk out the door, not that I got to kick them out at 18, but I want them to be able to be fully functional. And what that requires is empowering them at different stages at their life to do things and teaching them things so that they can be empowered. Right. And this kind of goes back to what I just said about empowering employees, where you're not hovering over them, you're not micromanaging them, but you're allowing them to do things in their own way as long as the work gets done. I was actually just watching a video before this about how to fold sheets. And one lady said, it doesn't matter to me how they fold that as long as my teenage boys get it done. And somebody else commented, man, I wish that's the way my parents raised me because my parents had all these lists of chores for me, but it had to be done the exact same way that they wanted it to be done. 
but I had a faster and more efficient way that I could have done it. But because her mom wanted it done the exact way she did it, it took the joy out of it and took the fun away. And she didn't really want to do it. And she probably fought her mom a lot on it. So I think in the process of empowering others, not hovering over them. So that applies to the corporate world, but that also applies to your kids. Yes, lead and guide them and show them what you think might be the best way to do something. Or if there is something that you want done a specific way in your family, then that's fine. Say, this is non-negotiable. This is how I want these done. But when there are times to give them the freedom, give them the freedom to find their own way and to get it done the way that they want to. Because you have to really right now hone that initiative because they get so excited to help at this age. So why not harness that and really set them up for success? It's actually interesting. This is almost a side business I could have opened up where it's consulting business owners. But a lot of the things that I run into where business owners are struggling is they have developed away from the stage where they're doing it all on their own. And they've moved on into this middle phase of business where suddenly they have too many tasks to do on their own, but they struggle to give up this control. And because they struggle to give up this control and deputize somebody else to take on this task, they then are hindering themselves from actually growing their business in a better way. And this is something I consult with them all the time. Like, listen, you got to hire somebody to do this, teach them how to do it. And then you got to stop paying attention to this, at least 90% of the time. Because if you're still in there 90% of the time, you may as well have not hired that person. But you let them take this over. And then that time you used to do with that, you need to then roll over and dedicate to this other part of your business that you can only do, or that at the very least is very important for you to be doing as business. Number 13 is be flexible. This is an important thing when you're trying to be a leader, is understanding that your plans, no matter how good you make them, they are still subject to change because you cannot anticipate everything. And so a part of helping people who tend to be a little bit rigid on their planning structure is planning that the plans will change, is having that expectation set for yourself that things are going to change, they're going to be different. It doesn't have to go how I initially thought it would go, because rarely do things ever go how you initially think they're going to go. And so learning to be flexible and understanding that there might be a change and that it's helpful to understand that change is a regular part of how things go can help you be less rigid and structured on things. Number 14 is to be consistent. So you want to maintain a consistent leadership style and an approach. And in a sense, you want to be predictable to your team members because I'm sure you've been around bosses or friends or spouses who you have to tiptoe around and you never know what you're going to get. So if you can have a consistent leadership style and approach where they know what to expect, they know when I come in today, this is what's going to happen. Or if I fail in this area or I make a mistake, I know these are going to be my consequences and I know they're going to say this where they're not fearful and they're not wondering, oh my gosh, what am I going to get today? Who am I going to get today? But they trust that you're dependable and reliable and they know who you are and the type of leader you are. Number 15 is being a lifelong learner, constantly improving your skills and knowledge as you lead. And I think whether you're leading an organization or just your family, there's so much to understand about the human dynamic and human condition. And when you're interacting with people, the more you know about what people need, how to help them, and then how to engage them, the better off that you are. 
I always tell people, and this goes along with the book that Ruth brought up earlier, is how to win friends and influence people. You can't control people, but you do wield influence. And the way you engage them can influence them either towards your cause or away from your cause. And the more you learn, the more you understand about people, the better you're able to influence them in a direction that's helpful and beneficial for what you're trying to accomplish. But remembering that if you're trying to bend people to your will, most of the time what's going to happen is you're going to get this automatic resistance. But if you're working with them, you're trying to connect with them, engage with them, you're going to learn better how to influence them and how to help them make better and healthier choices. And so you're constantly learning to try to be a better leader all throughout your life. Otherwise, you get stagnant and then you get stuck on old information. But new information is coming around all the time about psychology and interpersonal interaction. So make sure you're constantly trying to learn and educate yourself and continuing to improve your skills. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.